0: Pray before we begin this morning. Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for this season that we have been able to be reminded that you are with us. Father, this morning, as we have come aside on this day from our normal activities to gather as your people, we would just invite you to speak to us. Father, open up our hearts and minds. You know us. Better than we know ourselves, uh, you know what we need today. And so by your spirit, I pray that you would just speak to us and uh, draw us to yourself. Father, might we experience your presence with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Christmas 2018 is just about over. I don't know what your Christmas was like. Maybe it was beyond, uh, exceeded your expectations, and you are wishing it could just go on for another week, or maybe it didn't, and uh, you're ready to take down the tree and, and move on. <clears throat> I uh, had an okay Christmas, could have been better, could have been worse, I uh Our family was here, Janelle was home for this Christmas, which is always a a highlight. Every Sunday uh, we we went to a movie, one of the things we've done at Christmas, if there's a a decent movie out, we'll go as a family and then go out to eat, so we went to the Mary Poppins remake and watched that. I walked out and we were all going to Red Robin and I said, I don't think I will be going to Red Robin. I don't think I'll be eating anything. I don't know what's going on, but I don't feel very good. So I went home and went to bed, and everybody else went out to eat. It's about 24 hours to the Christmas Eve service, and thankfully I was able to make it through uh, <coughs> the day, and uh, my fever didn't last very long, and so some of the others probably had that as well. And I was reminded, I have a little saying, life doesn't stop for Christmas. So maybe that was a little bit like your Christmas. I don't know. This week, I, would, I found myself thinking about Mary. And I was just thinking about what her expectations of her very first Christmas would have been like. Now, we know she was really excited. Really excited when things started. And so we see that... Uh, In Luke 1, 48 and 49, this is what she writes as she's just speaking that beautiful prayer out to God. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Now it's obvious she's excited. She has, uh, this is an amazing thing that she is going to bear the Son of God, the Messiah. And so we just know that she had this excitement about what was ahead. However, her first stop was who? I you think it was Joseph? Or do you think it was her mother? I'm guessing one of those two. Let's say it was Joseph. How do you think that conversation went? I mean, really, how do you think that conversation went? What would you say, having never heard ever in the history of the world a story of anyone having a baby as a virgin? Well, we know a little bit about Joseph. <clears throat> we see in uh, in Matthew, he writes this: because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public uh, disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So we know what joseph was thinking joseph was thinking nope i'm not i'm not living my life out with this gal we know that he had it in his mind to divorce her and to end the relationship so we can imagine that the conversation probably didn't go real well we don't know anything about her mom or dad i'm sure Were they both living? She had that conversation with them. And you can only imagine, even if they were nodding their heads, that they had that look in their eye like, "Uh, we're worried about you, honey. And the community. I don't give the community a chance. I don't think anybody in that community believed her story. After all, as was mentioned, never in the history of mankind, before or since has there ever been a woman who had a child. As a virgin, never having come together with a man, and so we see here that I'm convinced that this is a pretty rough, pretty rough start to this story. And then we see in uh, in Luke one thirty nine, it says, "At that time, Mary got ready and hurried." Uh, some of your translations would say, "Made haste." <coughs> To a town in the hill country it, it's just interesting to me he didn't just say at that time mary got up and went to the hill country he said she made haste she was in a hurry to get out of town it doesn't tell us why we can only imagine but i, I think i think she needed to get out of town and where does god bring her i think to the only person on the face of the earth in that century who believed mary <clears throat> and i think it was elizabeth and I think Elizabeth believed Mary because Elizabeth had a miracle of her own. She had been barren all her life and now she was an old woman and there was no chance of having children and she, through this prophetic word, becomes pregnant with John. And so here was a woman that I think could look into Mary's eyes and go, Mary, I, I, I believe, I know it sounds bizarre, but I've had my own bizarre miracle and I believe yours. Then, of course, after three months, it was back to Nazareth. Probably not an easy time. Then it was the 90 miles, nine-month pregnant, making their way to Bethlehem. They arrived, strange place, not a a great place to have a baby. The inn was full. They ended up out somewhere with, with the animals and greeted by who? <clears throat> you know you have your first baby, and who's there? It's not your parents, it's not your best friend. It's a bunch of toothless, homeless shepherds from out in the fields. You know if Jesus had been born today, Mary would have probably had that baby in the laundromat, downtown somewhere, with half a dozen homeless people showing up. That, that would have been probably a pretty fair comparison to what Mary was experiencing. Maybe not quite what she had in mind for her first Christmas. And then we see that it, it doesn't end there. We see that, and we're not exactly sure of the order. It, it seems that After that night, they found a house somewhere there in Bethlehem, and they they moved into that house. Eight days later, the baby was circumcised according to the custom. Forty days later, after the purification had taken place for Mary, the child was brought to the temple in Jerusalem and dedicated there. It seems then this is the point, this is the period of time before they ended up in Nazareth that the wise men would come. And it's at that time... That Herod gets all riled up, an angel comes to this, now, just think of this, just just kind of getting settled in Bethlehem. As you read through the the accounts of the Gospels, it appears that probably they were planning to stay in Bethlehem. Apparently, maybe they they liked Bethlehem. But no, that was not to happen, because in the middle of the night, an angel came and said, Joseph, if you don't get out of town soon, that baby's going to die, because Herod is out to kill it. And so what do they do? They head off into the night with a young infant traveling 20 miles a day for probably three weeks to make it to Egypt, close to 400 miles, imagine. With a newborn infant, with a young child. You know, we read that, uh, I think the worst line in all the Christmas carols is this one. The little Lord Jesus No crying he makes. I think that little baby cried a lot. It was a dry trip. It was an arid country. It was a hard trip. That young couple heading out across the desert into a place they had no idea where they were going. Probably had never been there. And so that's Mary's first Christmas. I think, a little different than what she imagined. And then they finally got the word that they could come back, and and their plans were we saw to come back to Bethlehem, but no, no, Herod's successor was not much better than Herod himself, and so they would not be going to Bethlehem. They would be going to Nazareth, Nazareth where Nathan said, how can anything? When he was told the Messiah was coming from Nazareth, he said, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is a town for losers. So we're going to go back and raise our son in a town of losers. I wonder if at any time during those days the thought ever came to Mary and Joseph, is God really with us? thought he was with us i remember that moment when that angel came and 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 i i wonder if they ever asked that question i wonder if after walking maybe for two weeks 20 miles a night in that hot arid land on their way to egypt if mary didn't just have some of those thoughts and joseph as well is god really with us Well, I mention this because we all just came through Christmas and we probably all had expectations. And and maybe for some, and I'm sure it was, for some it was just a a wonderful time, but it, it wasn't for everybody. For some it was hard. We've all had our trips to Egypt. We've all had our threats from Herod. We've all had... Our changes of plans. We've all had people we thought we could trust that let us down. We've all had those moments of unbelief, those times where we say, God, are you really with us? And so during this Advent season, Joe and I have been walking us through this with this little phrase, God with us. And talking about how we can experience as we live out our lives, and sometimes we journey to Egypt, how we can still experience God with us. And so if you remember, we started way over, remember the Emmaus Road? When we started back on the 1st of December, and it was in that upper room where Jesus broke the bread, and the Jesus they thought was dead, they realized was alive. That's where it starts for all of us. where where God with us starts is to realize that we don't serve a dead Savior, we serve a risen Savior. That Jesus Christ arose from that tomb. That's that's where the hope begins. And so that's where we start. And, And when by faith we believe in the risen Christ, then God gives us His Holy Spirit, which comes into our life with just an amazing gift that God gives us. It's through the Holy Spirit that we're guided and we're comforted, and and the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we belong to God. The Holy Spirit prays for us, and we don't have any idea how to pray. Then we talked about the Word. And how Jesus' words to us, how the Logos, the written word, is an extension of, of Jesus. And so when we come to those words and we, we read in the word, lo, I am with you always, that those words can become alive in our life and we can experience God with us through his word. Last Sunday, Joe challenged us to recognize Jesus as King, to let go. To let go of trying to control our lives and everything around us. Because what happens when we try and take control is that we lose control. Isn't that true? Just try and take control of your kids. It won't be very long that you realize you don't have control. There are a lot of things in life we cannot control, but if we're going to try and take control of everything, good luck. And this God with us is going to be very invasive. You allow God to be in control, whatever comes in your life, whether you're in Bethlehem or Nazareth or on the way to Egypt, and you will experience God with you as, as we surrender our lives to his lordship as our king. So this morning, I want to share one final, one final gift, one final focus that is I think it's so important in experiencing God with us as we live out our days here and live out our lives. I'm gonna to go to Titus. It's a little New Testament book. It's right after 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And we're gonna to go to this little book and just a couple of verses, three verses, and really, just one phrase that I want to really focus in on. <clears throat> Here's what the passage says beginning then <clears throat> in verse 11 For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting. For our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this book is written by Paul. He had two good friends, Timothy and Titus. They headed out on their third missionary journey. They ended up in Ephesus, and there they left Timothy to kind of tend to things. And Paul and Titus went to Crete. They started, gathered some believers there and evangelized some people and the church began to grow. And then Paul left Titus in Crete and he went on to another city. So he's writing from that other city here. And he is writing to Titus and and he's really saying, you know, there's a couple things that are really important. One is, as he says in in chapter 2 in the beginning. As for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So it's really important to have right doctrine, but it's also important to know how to live out that doctrine. And so in, in Titus chapter 2, he's, he's talking about how do we live out our lives in light of, of what God has written. And he lists a number of things there. He says, training us in verse 12 to renounce Ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And then in verse 13, and here's where we're going to focus. In verse 13, he talks about an attitude and a focus that should be a part of every day of our lives. This is kind of the context in which we are to do the things he talks about in 12. 12 waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great god and savior jesus christ so how can we experience god with us we experience god with us by living in hope by living in hope so how does that hope work hope is the confidence that when you're on your way to Egypt, you're dead tired, you're exhausted, things don't make sense. Hope is the confidence that God has something good at the end of the road. It's, It's being able to say with the psalmist, I am confident of this. And by the way, the psalmist wrote this at a really rough time. I'm confident. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And when will this happen? It will happen at his appearing. It will happen at his appearing. How can we experience God with us? By living in in hope of his appearing. So I want to ask you a question this morning, this last week. Have you been living? have Have you been aware in your mind of the appearing? of jesus christ now advent means coming it literally means coming so in the beginning of december we say we're going to celebrate advent so what are we doing we're celebrating his coming so we walk through the season we anticipate the day when he comes and if you look at titus it says the grace of god has appeared it's already happened the first advent Christmas, that's what we celebrate. What is Christmas about? It's a celebration that the grace of God has appeared. God's grace appeared to you and I. We don't have to wait for it any longer. It's already here. Grace has appeared. Now, the Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. So what was the work of the devil? It was to tempt man, to bring man into a state of condemnation and separation from God. So Jesus comes to destroy all of the brokenness that Satan brought into our world. He comes to destroy that. And how does he come to destroy that? He comes and brings grace. So he's offering you grace. He's offering you grace. He's offering all of us this morning grace. That's how he destroys the work of the devil, because it's through grace that we are no longer under condemnation. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's grace. And God fully extends that to all of us here today. And we read that verse For it is by grace through faith, not by works. And so, that grace has appeared. That's what we have been celebrating. However, there's no credits rolling across the screen. The story's not over. In fact, there's another scene that's ahead that is as amazing. I mean, we we talk about the wonder of Jesus coming and... And bringing salvation, and that's, that's going to be, uh, that's an awfully amazing thing we look at as we look back. But we're reminded in this verse that there's more than one appearing. That as grace has appeared, now secondly, if you look at the end in verse 13, you see almost like two bookmarks here in this, in this passage. It says, as grace has appeared, glory will appear. Glory is going to appear. And glory is just the beauty and the wonder of of everything that God has planned for his people is yet in store. This is the second advent. This is the second coming that we are called. This should be just part of our underlying daily hope that we live in. You know that Jesus came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. These are, if you want to jot these down, these are the concepts. He came as a lamb, but he's coming back as a lion. He came to, to save us from sin, but he's going to come to judge all sin. He came to save us as people, but he's going to come to reign with his people. The Gospels give us the highlight of this first appearing of God's grace. But it's Revelation. The unveiling. The book of Revelation gives us the picture and the hope of the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? By faith... We trust in the grace of God. It means living in the joy and beauty of God's grace from what he has done. And it's living in great anticipation and expectancy of his second appearing. As Israel was longing for the Messiah to come and looking for that day. So you and I as a people of God should equally be longing and looking for this appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, Baxter Kruger wrote a a book entitled *The Great Dance*. I was just reading through it this week, and he he tells a story. He tells a story of when he was a a young boy. He was in uh, New Orleans. He grew up in Mississippi, and they were down in New Orleans, and they were there to see an NFL game. Now, this is a 12-year-old boy, and he was so excited. He's especially excited because his favorite team was playing the New Orleans Saints. And you know who it was? The Minnesota Vikings. It's a true story. I didn't make that up. <laughs> so here he is, 12-year-old, so excited to see his favorite team play in New Orleans. And they played, and the, it was a rout, and the Vikings won. And after the it was over, this was in the old Tulane Stadium down there in New Orleans. And... They were walking down the ramp and all the people and he was with his dad and his brother and all of a sudden he looked down and he saw three buses with these huge people getting on it. He realized it was a Minnesota Vikings team bus, three of them. And so he took off and and ran down there and he was staying there and he got to shake Carl Eller's hand and just about got to touch Alan Page and he touched the hat of Bud Grant. He watched every team member from close, you know, just close up, watch all of them get on the bus, watch the bus doors close, watch the buses all go down the block and and make a left-hand turn and disappear out of sight. And it was at that point he realized he had no idea where anybody else was. And he turned around and there wasn't a face he recognized. That in his excitement, he had just taken off and now he was lost. He quickly ran up and and scanned the parking lot and and the sea of faces that were quickly leaving. And then took off and and made his first trip around the entire stadium. No brother, no dad, no one. He came back and now a, a few people were left, but most cars had gone. And he made a second trip around the stadium. He got back. And now there's hardly anybody left. And one more time around the parking lot, one more time around the stadium, and he was all alone. And the panic and the fear of a 12-year-old boy in a strange city, in a strange stadium, with no idea where his dad was, was too overwhelming. He just sat down and began to ball. After some time, he, he got up, and the lights on the stadium went black. He panicked, he didn't know what to do, so he, he went he remembered they had parked the car and taken a trolley from somewhere in, in New Orleans to the stadium, but was it the south trolley or the west or the north? And he had no idea what directions were anyway, so he just went and got on one of the trolleys. He told the guy that, that ran it. He said, I, I am lost, I don't know where my dad is and The man on the trolley said, well, I want you to just look out the windows, and uh, we'll, we'll go around. And if you see something you recognize, pull on the cord. And so he went back and forth from window to window all the way on that trip, looking for something that looked familiar, and there was nothing. So he arrived, the full circuit, all the way back at the stadium. And there he went and sat down. And began to sob. <clears throat> and it's as he was sitting there. And I'll, I'll pick up here as he describes what happened next. Then suddenly, the stadium lights came on. Before I knew what was happening, I was on my feet running around the stadium. Someone had to have turned the lights on. And I was determined, with the fire of the universe, to find that someone. And then it happened. Over the noise of my footsteps and the pounding of my fears, I heard the most blessed sound in all of New Orleans. It was the most blessed sound I had ever heard in my life. One word, Baxter, shouted my father no one had to tell me what to do. No one had to tell me what that word meant. No one had to tell me how to apply the word to my life. My name shouted by my father spoke the hope of a thousand volumes. And the overwhelming fear and the frantic searching took a left turn like the buses that had gone. And in their place rose the simplest and most wonderful of all things, security, assurance, and rest. And then Baxter Kruger writes this, and this caught my attention. We cannot be lost if we have no home. What want you to think about that. We cannot be lost if we have no home. Why do we sometimes feel lost in this world? I think it's because we have a home. And sometimes when we're on our way to Egypt and, and it's dark and the lights have gone off, what Titus is saying is you have to remember, you've heard your father call your name. And you haven't seen him yet, but it's only going to be a few moments because he's right around the corner. John writes it this way, Behold, I am coming quickly. And Titus says, as we live out our lives here, there shouldn't be a day of our lives where we don't wake up and realize. one day, we're going to look Jesus Christ in the eye because his appearing, his appearing will happen and, and we will see him face to face and he will call my name and he will call your name and on that day you will know that you are home. Revelation was written to a group of people who were really struggling. I mean life, we have we have probably no idea how hard life can get. And so these words were penned. They were penned as a gift. What God did was he he gave his people and he gave you and I, he gave us the last chapter in the story. We don't have to wonder how it ends. We know how it ends. And this is how it ends. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard I heard a loud voice. Our Father's voice from the throne. And this is what he said, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Father, we have spent this last month reminding ourselves that you are a God who is writing a story. It's a story about people who get lost. It's about people who find themselves in dark places with the lights turned off. It's a story of people who feel separated from their father. And we read that you came at just the right time, that you appeared over 2,000 years ago now in a manger in Bethlehem. And you came bringing grace, and you came bringing truth, and you came bringing salvation for us as people. But this morning we're reminded that the story isn't over. And it's, it's not over because we're not home yet. It's not over because you are coming back for us as your people. And you invite us as your people to live in that hope, to live in that anticipation. Father, every book in the New Testament reminds us that we are to be waiting eagerly for your appearing. So, Father, as we move into this next year, I, I would pray for all of us that we make sure we are found in you, that we have received that grace that has appeared in your first coming, and that, Father, we live in anticipation of your second. That there wouldn't be a day that goes by when we don't think about the day, the day, when you see us and we see you and you call our name. So Father, might we live in that hope. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.